The problem with the power on display here is that it didn't require any discipline to obtain it. You didn't earn the knowledge for yourselves, so you don't take any responsibility for it. You stood on the shoulders of geniuses, and you tried to push something out as fast as you could, and before you even knew what you had, you packaged it, and now you're selling it. Welcome back, my friends, to the Medical Illustration Podcast. This is your host, Paul Kelly. I apologize it's been so long since I last released an episode. I've been editing a new interview, Touch and Go, since my last one, uh, but I've had some personal events come up in my life that required a pretty high demand on my time and focus. And I wanted to share a little bit about that on uh, uh, this episode with you guys. And then I want to get into discussing the AI art era we found ourselves in and then touch on a few bits of other news to wrap up the podcast for 2022. All right. So for those of you who don't follow my social media accounts on uh, Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn, last month, I received my first degree black belt in judo. And in the same week, I also received my blue belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Although it's not directly related to medical illustration on the surface, been a pretty big part of my life for a long time. So I want to talk a little bit about this uh, on this episode because, as I think I've mentioned in previous episodes, whenever your mental concept of what a black belt happens to be, I think this is a great way to conceptualize success or a level of mastery. And to every listener out there, I want to encourage you to seek out and attain the rank of black belt for yourself in whatever discipline you choose. I think this is a great question to ask yourself. What does a black belt in medical illustration look like? What does their artwork look like? What does their process look like? And just set that as your goal. You know, that's been my goal for ever since I've started working in this field, for sure. Definitely. So when I started grad school in late 2009, I was so excited to be living in Toronto, you know, a new city that I had to explore everything I had to offer. So I moved up there in the summer before classes, and I immediately went right into continuing a new venture I had been recently doing, judo. I started training judo in Toronto around the same time I started my studies in medical illustration, and within about a month, I got injured horribly. I sprained my AC joint on my right arm, my right shoulder, my drawing arm. I went through the entire first semester with a busted shoulder, and it sucked. <laughs> My parents were furious with me. I've gone through so many more injuries since then. It almost doesn't make sense that I keep coming back. But, you know, it's because the martial arts have been an important part of my life, you know, ever since I was a teenager in a lot of different ways. You know, many of my best moments in life have been in the context of martial arts. It's been a source of discipline, fitness, community, focus, motivation, etiquette, you know, all these things. It was a long road, but, you know, I finally made it, so... I was really happy about it, and I just wanted to share. And, you know, I also wanted to mention this to explain what's been up with me, and also to take, this is a little opportunity to pass along, you know, a few takeaways from this experience, because I can definitely tell you, in martial arts like judo and jiu-jitsu, your training partners are essential to your success. You need people who are going to push you and challenge you, inspire you to improve, I think this is true of any art form, you know, so link up with good people. You know, we do drills, you repeat the same movement over and over, analyzing minute details of every aspect of an execution, repetitions after repetitions, sets, reps, 
you know, we do this in other skills as well. Preparing for my belt exams over the past several months, I was training like five to six days a week, two to four hours a day. At the same time, I was also maintaining a daily daily image posting streak on Instagram that I started during the pandemic. Because I found that even with all my activities and obligations, I've still been able to carve out an hour or so every day over the past two years or so to make some art. And I'm really, I'm, I'm happy about that too. And I really wish I had started this sooner. You know, it's opened new doors for me. It's given me new career opportunities. But most importantly, it's given me a sense of confidence and satisfaction, you know, that I often felt was missing before I started doing this. So, like, for any other illustrators or artists out there, if you've ever struggled with confidence, trust me, I have struggled hard with this. Dedicating yourself to consistent practice will work wonders. It definitely helps. It, it might not cure it completely, but it's the closest thing to a cure I've found yet. It really helps with confidence. It really does. Um, I think, you know, I think most artists do probably draw or create every day, but it seriously, it really is the specific act of posting it to the world, getting it out there. So one thing that helped me create images every single day is occasionally picking a theme and going with it for a set amount of time. You know, this all started with Inktober. I mean, that's what started my whole daily posting streak anyway. Uh, for those who don't know, Inktober was a social media challenge, uh, art challenge that was started like several years ago by a guy named Jake Parker. And I think the original idea was to encourage artists, many of whom work digitally, to get back in their sketchbooks and get in touch with those long lost traditional art techniques, you know, specifically drawing with ink, but a lot of people do like ink wash or watercolors as well, you know, but you know, there's just something about those experiences of drawing directly onto the page that digital tools will never completely replicate or replace, you know, especially with ink, you have to be perfect on the first try. You know, it's like the ultimate form of like honesty in artwork. And that's something that, you know, digital, you're always going to have, you know, undo. Right. But, you know, don't get me wrong. I love drawing and dig uh, painting digitally. And if you follow me on social media, you'll see that the vast majority of work I post is all done digitally. So I'm not knocking it at all. Trust me. Um, but just to give you one example of what, I like about traditional tools, you know, when I go camping during the summer or when I'm visiting family, it can get really clumsy and difficult to carry around a laptop or an iPad, you know, you got to find outlets and stuff like that, you know, so, and I, plus I'm always worried I'm going to break or lose my tech. So I don't like bringing those when I travel. So a sketchbook is really like the best alternative. And, you know, then when I want to post an image for the day, you know, I just take a cell phone, pick them, you know, upload that and I'm done. So we got my post. Um, but, you know, many, many other artists, uh, I notice uh, like to follow other Tober, you know, October pr prompt lists. Um, and most notably is the SciArt Inc. one. If you haven't followed this or, or gotten involved with it, try it out, man. It's a lot of fun. This was launched uh, by my friends over at Now Medical Studios. And uh, they have a podcast as well. And this is a medically themed drawing prompt list that they come up with, which, holy crap, this year, this was super challenging. This was crazy hard. You know, I have to be honest, I could not keep up with some of these. They were just, they were too much for me to handle in a day with everything else I had going on. But it was, it was good for me too, though, to see, you know, that there's concepts and themes that do come up from time to time as a medical illustrator. And they don't always have a straightforward visual image to capture that idea. 
you know, so sometimes you, you need to read and look at other images, get educated on a topic, and then, you know, get inspired by some other artwork before you can come up with your own concept. And then, you know, all that can that can take some time, man. <laughs> so it was like, it's a good exercise. I did come up with some fun images, but I couldn't do that every single day. So <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I kind of goofed off. I would do some like, you know, visual puns. Those are always fun to do. Um, and I made a lot of these with uh, this shoe box of markers that I've had for like 20 years now. Cause I used to work as a barista at this coffee shop. And for this one whole summer at the end of every shift, I would take out my tip jar and then go down the street to this printing and drafting store. And I would buy these expensive, like really high quality alcohol markers. Uh, Prismacolor was one brand. Tria was another brand. Um, you know, there's, oh, they're so nice and crisp and um, juicy, wonderful, like ink that just like flows and uh, vi- vibrant, saturated colors, just the best colors. So anyway, I, I built up a collection of these, you know, and uh, I still have them. And so, yeah, it was great. It was great to finally make use of them. They've just been like sitting under my coffee table for forever. <laughs> but yeah, you know, p- posting artwork daily has significantly and profoundly improved my skills. Seriously, I recommend this to everyone, each and everyone out there, especially if you want to become a creative professional. Because, you know, if you think about it, you have complete control over your ability to make a drawing every single day. Most of us do. And then, you know, you and you alone can commit to maintaining a daily art streak. And if you do so, it's absolutely going to help you. And seriously, like, there's so few guarantees in life. But I feel like this really is one of them. You know, if you make art every single day and posting it online really does help because, it holds you accountable and it stamps it, it timestamps it for you on the account, right? So, and and plus it is an act in and of itself. And it, it's also like this little mini due, due date or, you know, you have to turn that and turn in that delivery. Um, and it doesn't, it, you know, it just, it doesn't accept excuses. You know, if, you, if you're trying to maintain the streak, the streak is the streak, right? Um, but either, of the, you know, either way, trust me, follow through on this. And improvement is inevitable. It's inevitable. Yeah, I, li- I like the themes. You know, I've had fun with the themes. I started doing this one, uh, Sculptember, in 2021. So, like, last year. And then I did it uh, this year as well. And this is a 3D-focused modification of one of the October monthly spinoffs. You know, some 3D and ZBrush artists. I do- started doing, like, a Sculptober. But still... I, I still want to do Inktober or Sci-Art Ink, right? And so I'm like, well, I want, I'll just do sculpting in September instead and call it Sculptember. So that's why I came up with that. But anyway, um, yeah, I bought this portrait sculpting course from ArtStation. Uh, ArtStation has a fantastic marketplace. I would seriously encourage anybody just like go on there, make it an account. I love that site. It's just, uh, I'm going to be, t- I'm going to be talking more about ArtStation in this episode. I just really like the, the whole concept of you're not allowed to comment unless you posted artwork on your account. I just love that policy. Anyway, um, so I got this uh, portrait sculpting course. It's called ZBrush Character Likeness from Victor Yamamoto. I think he's Brazilian, um, but he's a badass, man. This guy does incredible photorealistic interpretations of uh, famous people. And so the one in this course is Anthony Hopkins. I was really getting a lot. I, I am getting a lot out of this course. I started this out um, with the month of October 
uh, I had some random sea creatures and aliens, you know, to warm up. But then I, I got into this art station course and I was blown away by how much knowledge this guy gets into with facial anatomy. I have to be honest, you know, one of the challenges I had at first was just getting through all these videos because there's something like 40 hours of video content in this course. It's, it's crazy, man. There's like 88 videos. I'm a little embarrassed to admit this, but I was watching these videos with QuickTime at first and then it dawned on me. I should put them in VLC so, so then I could speed them up, and that helped a lot. <laughs> I went through way too many videos before I thought to do that. Uh, but anyway, you know, um, whatever the source is, man, it can be brutal sometimes to watch, like, all this video tutorial before you can even get start to making, you know, your daily art. But Because you're, you're, you're really multitasking. You're learning and executing at the same time. But having said all that, uh, I'm still only about halfway through the course and I've returned to this bust that I've been working on, uh, in the, the September, uh, monthly challenge I did for myself. I brought that back and I've been, that's what I've been working on recently. And, uh, I think I'm going to close out the year on this guy and, you know, I'm just going to keep going through all these videos because this is like, this is so way past the point at which I would say, Oh, that looks good enough. You know? So it's, it's great to have somebody pushing me well well past that point and i'll tell you what i'm I'm gonna do a little surprise for you guys for my podcast listeners uh to say thank you i'm gonna let you guys in on a little secret uh just for you guys i'm gonna reveal the actor that i'm trying to recreate in this study so if you look at my like uh, zbrush account you'll see that i've just been doing this one face over and over again and so who i'm trying to do i i wanted to make wharf from star trek so the guy you're seeing in these posts is the actor who plays wharf michael dorn uh so it's been really tricky because i have reference photos of this guy from several different points in his career and i think he's gone through some episodes of weight loss or various levels of fitness or something because man this guy's face looks different uh, sometimes, but it's been a fun challenge nonetheless. He has a, he's a fantastic face, wonderful actor. And I just, I can tell already that like starting off with the actor who plays his character, starting off with his face and then sculpting like an alien, you know, uh, add on on top of that for the, the, the Klingon look to make him look like Worf that it's going to be so convincing. I think it's going to work and it's going to teach me a lot about attending to these minute details by doing the course, right? So anyway, I'm feeling good about that. I'm looking forward to wrapping up that course. And then yeah, after sub uh September and Inktober, I did render vember. I just keep coming up with these uh monthly sort of pun yeah, yeah, they're not really that funny. But anyway, I you know, I just kind of made up this the hashtag for this one. Although I I can't take credit for it totally being my original idea because uh to be honest i think there was like an industrial designer uh artist who who used this same hashtag back in 2015 or something like that so i i wasn't the first but i'm like the only one using it right now that's for sure <laughs> but uh yeah i was playing around with octane uh in cinema 4d for the month i got to dig a little bit deeper into uh you know flexing those render muscles a bit uh the the lighting especially and i'm really happy with what i got into because Last year, it wasn't as deep into the GPU renderers that I wanted to go. But this time around, but this time around, you know, I'm pretty comfortable working in Octane now. And that was, that was really uh, satisfying. Because one of the challenges I ran into was uh, 
just trying to render multiple shots using the takes and the render queue with Octane. And what I ended up fig- kind of figuring out is that Octane just doesn't like the uh, the render queue system in C4D, which is kind of a bummer because I've really come to rely on that. Uh, I think it can work. It's just sort of clunky. I've actually compiled a ton of notes on the workflow for Octane and C4D. And I took uh, I took on the challenge of compositing some of my renders in the Fusion part of DaVinci Resolve, which is a free video editing software that has a node-based compositing system. It's really cool. Um, a little clunky, but a legit contender to After Effects. Um, there's a lot you can do with it. So this has been fun. And I swear I'm going to get around at some point and I'll post these notes somewhere that I've compiled Probably on the AMI hub because, to be honest, I think that's the most likely place where a few folks would actually want to read it. But if you're interested and you're not on the AMI hub, you know, reach out and I'll shoot you a Google Doc when I've got everything organized. All right, so that's been uh, what's up with me for now. Um, and so now, like, let's move on to a bit of news in the field of medical illustration. And we're going to start off with probably the biggest news headline in our space currently which is AI art. All right, so there's been a lot of news about this lately, and I've just actually discussed this before in previous episodes, especially in my interview with Michael Hickman. Um, So I want to provide a little context on what's been happening recently. Okay, so mid-journey, Dolly, and Diffusion, Stable Diffusion, are probably the most popular AI image generators that Basically, they create an image based on text prompts alone. And this has exploded uh, all over social media. People are posting these images, and the results are just really impressive and improving at a dramatic rate. There is a lot of controversy surrounding it. Um, We've seen a major negative response to AI on ArtStation recently. I mentioned ArtStation before as one of the premier websites for high-level digital art. A lot of people who post on ArtStation are professionals who are working in the video games and and movie spaces. I'll talk a bit more about that in just a minute. Worth noting is that Blender has already added an AI plugin for making procedural textures. In a recent email uh, that I saw from Andrew Price, also known as the Blender Guru, uh, he was pred- he's predicting that this is what we're going to see across you know just about like every app in our arsenal. You know, there's a swift integration of AI tools built into everything, and I could definitely see that happening. You know, I think people forget sometimes actually that there's already AI in our current software. You know, like Photoshop, for example, for sure the Creative Cloud version, uh, Content Aware Fill. I'm pretty sure it's based on AI. Um, but yeah, uh, the Blender Guru also makes some really good points on the copy, copyright controversy in AI. This is kind of like the big thing right now. So, you know, he he's saying you know we can we can probably expect to see some ethical AI art generator come out. You know, that's that says that oh yeah, we pull all our data from just Creative Commons images or alone, or or we make sure we got ensure that permission was obtained. But, you know, once this AI gets smart enough to analyze these data sets, it's, it won't really matter where the images come from anymore because the end result is going to be the same. The technology, once it's trained, it, it knows that skill now. It doesn't need to look at, those, at any images anymore, right? He also asks, and I think this is fair, 
are we maybe being a little hypocritical on some of this? Because, you know, how many copyrighted images do we all have on our hard drives for mood boards and references? You know, we've all done it. You know, how often do you see medical illustrators publish a list of cited works with their illustrations? You know, a list of all the artists whose work was looked at in order to create this one you're looking at. Who does that? Come on, nobody does that. And so I think he makes a good point in here and, you know, one we should think about. And maybe we want to rectify it. Maybe we want to start seeing people do that more. Like people talk about what they looked at, like include a link to all the artist works of people that they looked at, of the accounts of people that they looked at. What if we could do that? I don't know. That might be cool. But, uh, yeah, the, so Blender Guru goes on and talks about, like, studios, how they'll reduce in size, but probably volumes of workloads will increase. He talks about the industry a bit more. And one of the things he did mention, though, that I thought was interesting is uh, he mentioned NERFs, which are neural radiance fields. This is basically an iteration of photogrammetry, the idea of, like, taking a bunch of, uh, like, a, creating, like, a point cloud, either through photos or laser scanning or something, and then, you know, it creates a, a 3D model. It creates like a 3D cloud rendering. And then from that, you can create a 3D mesh. I've been playing around a little bit with photogrammetry over the past few years. And to be honest, I don't know, man. I'm not like totally sold on what it can do. I, it, you know, it can definitely do some cool stuff. But I don't know if this is going to like take over, you know, or become like a big job. If it is, it's like a totally niche job, man. It really is. But anyway, I don't know. It'll just be it'll be interesting to see if uh, those are the types of things that people will be in demand of to feed into the algorithms and feed into AI. You know, what kind of new jobs is AI going to create as far as people who are sent out to harvest information for the AIs, right, to learn from? I don't know. That might be interesting. You know, if you want some other thoughts on AI, I want to recommend a couple YouTube videos that I saw that I liked the way that they were discussing it and thinking about it. And one is a comic book artist by the name of Trent Kaneyuga. Uh, he worked at Blizzard for a while. He was a comic artist. And, you know, he's he's pointing out some things I, I thought were really good to sort of keep in mind. You know, all the comic artists from, like, the 80s, you know, they all had to make that transition from, like, hand drawing into Photoshop, right? But Photoshop did not eliminate watercolor and oil painting classes and people still doing that. People still do that stuff, right? You know, DJs did not eliminate orchestra music. Every That's like still high-level stuff, and there's people who still play real instruments. You know, new technology is disruptive, but people still value what is, uh, you know, what skilled humans can make with their hands. So I, I thought he made some really good points. I'll provide a link to this video I like this guy, you know, he's an old school comic book artist who went into gaming. He worked at Blizzard. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with Blizzard, they're the, you know, at one point they were like one of the biggest PC gaming companies. They were responsible for Warcraft and Starcraft. Really awesome games. And now there's another guy actually who worked at Blizzard uh, whose YouTube videos I like. His name's Mark Brunet. And he, he made a really interesting video on AI. Some of the things he mentioned was how. You know, AI art is almost similar to cloning technology because, you know, just because the technology exists doesn't mean we have to use it or should use it. He was talking about how people are saying, you know, some of the artists that comment on his videos are saying they're like they're giving up on art because the AI is too good. And, you know, even without this AI 
this was still the case. You know, there's always somebody better. I thought he, he it was a really good point that he made there, you know, because we can use art to connect with others and it feels good to get better at something. You know, just going for the end result alone without any effort to get there actually misses the point. You know, some people are saying artists will it, it, this AI is going to replace artists or take away jobs. Well, it definitely is going to change them. Uh, but artists still need to be uh, included to execute ideas. You know, uh, AI learns just like we do. Uh, well, not really, he says, you know, it learns it learns via recipe. We aren't reliable, but that's actually good for creativity. And that's a good point. You know, is AI inevitably going to evolve to be better than us? I'll link to his videos so you can hear him say his own arguments in his own words. You know, to be honest, in its current state, I don't know if I really consider this actually artificial intelligence, you know, this AI art, because it just seems like a new digital product. You know, it's what it's and what it's selling is a shortcut. It's not really making decisions unto itself. So I don't, I don't know. It's just not what I think of as AI. It's an image generator. And I didn't have to spend too much time with them to see that they're kind of a diversion from what I consider to be the art making process. I think you can definitely integrate AI image generators into your art making process. But, but for me, like gathering reference images it's sort of like part of the creative process but not really i kind of see like i don't know typing out keywords as the same activation level of my creativity centers as picking out reference images or creating like you know or looking through stock images you know or using stock in, a, in a stock images or icons or something like that in a, in a project and there's nothing wrong with it it just doesn't feel like it's really like getting my creativity flowing that's all you know i don't know i i made a few uh images with the mid-journey trial i did give it a shot but to be honest i kind of got bored you know typing words into an app just it's not what i signed up for i get irritable waiting for 3d renders to clean up this is even less satisfying i like direct control over what i'm making and I want the satisfaction of getting it right. You know, I want failures too. People who think they're gaming the system or skipping ahead by using like a prompt-based image, I think that's not, like that's going to skip all the struggle and it's going to come back and bite you in the ass when you realize one day that you can't, you, you like you don't have the skill to create something outside of that app. Your skill is trapped within the app, you know? I, I spent years playing Tekken, Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat, and, you know, wouldn't you know it, those video games don't actually teach you how to really defend yourself or actually fight. <laughs> it doesn't work. It doesn't translate, you know. I would much rather get in there and get my hands dirty. Now, in regards to the backlash recently, you know, to be honest, this actually surprised me a little bit because... I first started seeing images from like Diffusion and Midjourney way back, like I'm talking maybe the spring of 2022 or even earlier than that. And like right now we're at the end of 2022 and uh, December, just about to enter 2023. I mean, I did a few experiments on the Midjourney trial back in, I think it was uh, August or something, right? 
I've seen lots of people posting this AI content on social media, and there was some concern for sure. You know, back a few months back, people were saying a few things, and there were even a few people voicing anger at the idea of artists being sourced for the algorithms, you know, without their consent. And now that is the issue at hand. You know, this is really blown up. Uh, just about a week ago, I start seeing tons of these uh, no AI with the red circle and slash, you know, images on social media. I'm just, I was just a little kind of surprised. I was like, what, what was there a recent new emergence or like change or policy or something? And so I posted this on the medical illustration discord. And, you know, if you're interested in checking that out, you know, hit me up. I'm not going to post like a direct link to that, but if you're interested and you hit me up on like, you know, direct message, uh, we'll chat. But anyway, uh, yeah, I, you know, I got some good responses there and I think, uh, basically people were saying that, yeah, it's just, the, it's proliferated so widely it's so you know and it's starting to get really good and uh people are just sort of getting concerned and like yeah there's just uh there it, it was just a huge outpouring like there's just you know everything was getting flooded with this ai art so i was like okay all right you know this makes sense because um, i knew about this art station thing where art station the, the website they basically made it a policy now to where you have to well they they, they put out a statement basically that you can opt out from having your impa- uh, images sourced. But, I, you know, to be honest, I just I kind of feel like we all opt in simply by using social media. I mean, especially if and when we use hashtags. I used to joke with people years ago that hashtags would be this would be the in, you know, that the machine learning would use to learn how to make images. And I'm pretty sure that's that's what's happened. <laughs> you know, <laughs> So, like, we're pretty much doing the work of categorizing and describing the images for them. I, I, you know, I, I really feel that that's a, that's a part of it. Like we kind of helped. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious how people think about that and, you know, how people would even go about proving though, that like an AI has broken any rules when it comes to referencing images, you know, like how are they going to know? And, and how, how do you ensure, I don't know. How do you prove your uh, settings on your account were disobeyed? I, I think that's, those are all, you know, issues that they're going to have to like come up with some kind of answer for, but I don't know. We'll, we'll see. You know, I, I, I want to look at this a little bit differently, though. Maybe. Maybe we'll see that some of the people who are making all these AI generated images and uh, just flooding the social media with it, you know, maybe they never got into art before because they were too intimidated, you know, and so maybe, maybe they start moving over to tools like Photoshop. Maybe this is their in. This is maybe what gets them excited about art. And so they start using Photoshop, ZBrush, because Midjourney or Dolly, you know, got them into making art. And yeah, they were too intimidated, but now they have they have a feel for it. They want to, and they want a greater sense of control. They want more direct control over the image. That's what I think the the difference is, you know, with uh, actually creating images in Photoshop or ZBrush versus like typing stuff in. You just, you know, you have more direct control. I don't know. Maybe we'll see that we redefine what it means to be original, you know, originality. Maybe there was, you know, maybe there's going to be a new demand for art made by human hands, you know, maybe traditional comeback, who knows art styles always kind of cycle and change. Right. I do want to also acknowledge that. Yes, there is definitely a lot of concern here over AI replacing humans or people just in general being devalued. You know, I think there's something inherently valuable to a human being that a machine is never going to be able to replace. 
So why are we trying to replace people? You know, it doesn't have to be that way. Obviously, somebody saw an opportunity here to make money and it's working, but why don't we establish a demand that's something we actually want to see? So I think if we if we ask more of AI and we tell people like this is what we want because this will help us do our jobs better. I don't know. That's one way we could try to, you know, regain a measure of control here. Another thing I wanted to mention that is I I think from my experience of my career, a lot of it is not just about image management or visual management, aesthetic management, all those things. Uh, to be honest, that's a, actually a small part of the job. I would say more so it's it's project management and people management, just how you communicate and interact with other people on your job, your coworkers, managers, clients, collaborators, etc. I don't think any of that is going away anytime soon. I think, you know, there's an art to all of that. At the same time, I think the best people to manage a team of people making images or any sort of project or process that's making images is a person who's been in the trenches themselves of image making and can be a coach to help you know their crew level up. This is another benefit to people working with people. When done right, we know it can lead improvement of skills and professional development. And thus far, we have no evidence that these attributes will be produced from the experiences of typing word prompts. We shall have to see. All right, so I'm, I'm going to take a big risk here. I, I want to make some suggestions for how we might respond to AI art. And maybe you don't want to hear them, or maybe I'll be dead wrong on every single one. If there's one habit I've really tried to work on with myself, it's voicing a bunch of problems and then just letting them hang there. You know, I want to stop this habit. You know, I want to be the one proposing solutions. I don't want to be putting negative energy out there. Because I think when you just, you know, list a bunch of problems with something, it comes across as complaining or maybe even whining. What I want to get better at is identifying a problem and then suggesting solutions and make the solutions part of the bulk of what I'm saying. So I think that when we spend the majority of a discussion listing out, you know, all the problems and challenges, it can start to get depressing, you know, and we might walk away feeling hopeless. Whereas if more of our discussion time is spent on picking apart potential solutions, you know, we might walk away from a conversation with our brains invigorated with new ideas and, and feel more energized. So that's what I want to do here with this AI art discussion. Let's cap this off with maybe a more positive note. First of all, maybe we need to reconsider the use of hashtags. I don't know. Up until now, <laughs> I thought these were a useful way of identifying our work and helping people find us, helping people find the types of images they want to see. Well, we were always also helping the algorithm categorize our posts and our profiles. I don't know, how, how can we change the way that we post our content so that it's more appealing to other humans? And this reminds me of something Michael Corrin had mentioned at an AMI meeting a few years ago. For those of you who don't know, Michael Corrin is one of the professors at the BMC program in Toronto. And he talked about how we, you know, should really be including citations in our pieces more, especially for animation work. Uh, but I think this really uh, applies to any medical or scientific piece. We should cite our references the same way they do in scientific publications. It's accountability. You know, we as medical illustrators should know we are staking our reputation on the line with every image. We should live and breathe accuracy in every piece. And clients should therefore be proud to work with us. They should brag about having a piece done by this or that artist because we know what we're talking about. We're not only 
creating the image at a high level of quality, but we are doing the research at a high level of quality as well. And this is something we can always be better at, at promoting ourselves and what makes us unique amongst all the people out there who, who make images. Another thing I think we all need to get really hardcore about, and actually medical illustrators have been traditionally far better at this than other artists, but routinely and methodically signing and watermarking our images. And it's not just the text itself, but like what the text means. Even though medical illustrators are typically better at signing their work than many other artists, those signatures aren't always legible. I see some people using URLs or profile names along with their signatures, and this is, I think, what we should be doing more of. You know, I definitely need to do this more. Right now, I have my social media handles, uh, but I should really switch that up and use my website URL. Because as Chris Doe pointed out in a great post, we shouldn't rely on social media accounts to serve as our portfolios. We forget sometimes that we clicked agree on all those terms and conditions. Also, what if your account gets hacked or you get locked out? Well, it's best practice to upload all your work to your professional website and use your social media accounts to drive traffic there. I'm going to really try to get better at this. I think that's going to be one of my New Year's resolutions. Yeah, AI is definitely going to have us getting really meta about some like deep philosophical ideas and concepts. Like, What does that really mean to be a human? What is, what is the art-making process and what benefit do we get from going through it? Is it worthwhile? Is it worth our time? A lot of times what people have like sort of painted this idea of the future is if everyone just had free time, like we all had universal basic income or something, it's been, it was predicted, you know, maybe that like everyone would turn to art and music, you know, because if you could just like sit around and chill and create all day, that's what most people would want to do. I don't know if that's necessarily true, but I think there is a lot of enjoyment out of making things with your hands. So I, that's one thing I think I'm going to maybe shift gears and do a little bit more of is making some print stuff, F physical work. It, ha it has special qualities that digital media just can't replicate. And I think collecting work into like physical print jobs like art books, calendars, postcards, you know, swag, basically. This is, you know, these might be income sources that I'm, I'm going to look into in the future. I'm seriously considering this because like for this past holiday season, I used a bunch of my favorite sketches from my like my dailies and I made a calendar out of it. And, you know, that's going to be my gift to, you know, my parents and my sisters. You know, each family household can hang it somewhere and they get a year's worth of art. One of the things I've enjoyed the most about reconnecting with my friends from grad school many, many years later has been, you know, meeting up to do art in person, drawing outside, meeting up and, you know, crowding around a table, seeing other people's sketchbooks in person. Has, you know, just always has this magic, you know, doesn't it? You get to see the half-completed sketches, you know, they think are horrible, but you find just amazing and beautiful. You get to see these, you know, little taped and clip, uh, glued clippings, you know. Man, the smell, ooh. I love the smell of a well-worn sketchbook. So, I don't know, may maybe we're about to see a time when in-person gatherings have more value for people. You know, for years I've been attending live figure drawing sessions and I'm always thrilled to have a night when the moderator has to put a sign on the door saying the session is full because when you've got a packed room of artists, you know, you just let your eyes wander across the room and you can instantly gain solutions and insights to everything you're working with and struggling with. It's, it's such a wonderful experience. So I don't know, maybe there's a whole ton of digital artists who 
haven't felt, you know, these kinds of experiences yet. And now they're ready for it before they didn't see a point, but now maybe they do. Who knows? Maybe we'll see, you know, post pandemic resurgence in life drawing. I don't know. That would be excellent. I think that would be amazing. Even more excellent would be if medical and scientific illustrators launched their own in-person sessions for, you know, whatever, just to get together. You know, I think that that would be awesome, man. Who know, we could do stuff like fossils, bones, traditional tools like carbon dust, airbrush. I would definitely go. Who knows? Well, I, I'm sure we'll see that. I'm sure we'll see that. So I don't know. That, you know, those are just a couple ideas, a couple of things that we can do with our lives and in our routines to push back against a future dominated by AI art. You know, I know this won't solve like the situation, uh, but you know that's always going to be a battle. There's always going to be a battle against faster solutions, shortcuts. There's always going to be battle against you know other uh, competitors in our in our space. So it's just something we're going to have to accept. I think you know there's always there's always also something that we can do to apply what we've learned you know to the challenges of a job. You know, because I don't care really, to be honest, if AI can make a, f- a much faster image, you know, than I can paint it or generate a 3D model faster than I can sculpt it. Because I don't necessarily always do that for my job. You know, I don't draw naked people for my job, but I do. I draw a lot of figure drawing for fun, and I never use that specifically at my job. But nonetheless, it does inform my job skills. These activities I engage in do inform other decisions that I make and other parts of my process. These are transferable skills. And I think the same is true for all the aspects of traditional medical illustration. I don't think we need to lose these skills or push them aside or change them. I video edit and I make animations mostly at my job. But knowing how to illustrate with Photoshop comes in handy all the time. You know, I jump in and out of Photoshop all day long. I jot down ideas and little doodles with a pencil and paper. Uh, when I jump between different softwares I use at my job, many of them have autofill or generate functions already built into them. I almost feel like, you know, I'm a pilot at a control station. Like, have you ever noticed inside a sci-fi ship in like a movie or a comic book or something, you know, they have all these screens. They're surrounded by all these screens. I mean, how many, how many screens can you really pay attention to at any given moment? Right. But (laughs) anyway, that's how I feel, you know, when I'm working with like five different visual software apps all at the same time. I've got DaVinci Resolve open. I've got Adobe Photoshop, Max on Cinema 4D, ZBrush, and a web browser, of course. So, you know, in this respect, I think a human artist always has something to offer as like a composer role or like a, you know, air traffic controller. You know, you're kind of directing all these different energies and processes to like align with each other to create an end product. It's, I don't know, There, I think there's skills that need to be built over time that carry with them something machines can't replace yet and hopefully never will be able to you know because i've heard a great phrase the amateur trains until she gets it right the professional trains until she can't get it wrong i love that i there's i have another great quote I, i had a judo sensei tell me once judo it's hard to learn hard to forget and I, th- I think these ideas are speaking to the same phenomena. When we dig deep into building a skill as a human, it changes us. When we see someone display a skill and they haven't undergone those same changes, we rightfully kind of question it. You know, a trained eye can spot the difference. Our clients might not be able to always spot the difference between good enough and high quality work, but we need to be able to spot that difference every time and be able to articulate it. 
So that's why we study. That's why we train. A powerful tool alone does not confer upon its owner expertise. And when I hear about some of these folks posting tons of AI art images and then the comments they're leaving on other artists' profiles, like, give up, it's over, you know, your skills are worthless now. And some of these trolls will actually create albums or entire profiles copying someone else's style and then post tons of images using that artist's name as an image generation prompt just to, like, stick it to them. I'm like, why? That That's ridiculous. This is just trolling. I don't see this as a behavior I would describe as humble. This is not the type of behavior that this new software or entity in our midst uh, is invoking of, of, you know, it's not conjuring respect or, you know, it's, it's just not a good look. You know, I think we're having a Jurassic Park moment here. In that film, when the advisors are brought in and, you know, they see the park, they see the dinosaurs that have been cloned from fossilized DNA, and they sit down to dinner to talk about what they're, how they feel about it. The paleontologist is skeptical. The paleobotanist is apprehensive. And the mathematician issues a rebuke. This character, Ian Malcolm, says, and I'm paraphrasing here, The problem with the power on display here is that it didn't require any discipline to obtain it. You didn't earn the knowledge for yourselves, so you don't take any responsibility for it. You stood on the shoulders of geniuses, and you tried to push something out as fast as you could, and before you even knew what you had, you packaged it, and now you're selling it. Before I got my black belt in judo, I was a brown belt for several years. I had to learn a lot of patience and acceptance, and have faith that the black belt would come one day. I just had to keep working, keep at it. To be honest though, I didn't really want the black belt. I never did. I wanted the skill level it represents. This is the same way I look at creating images and why I'm still going to draw in Photoshop and I'm still going to sculpt models in ZBrush. I don't care that an AI can do it faster because I don't care as much about the final image as I do about having the skill set behind the image. That's what I want. And so to wrap up this episode, I want to share a few sources that I think can help you increase your expertise in being a professional medical illustrator. In fact, servicing the development of expertise is a major motivation for this podcast, and I really hope that I'm helping that regard. If you have any ideas for how I could do better, please reach out and let me know. I think this little tidbit will be helpful. I want to talk about a book I just saw posted on a bunch of different social media channels, and I'm really interested to check this out. It's called Building Science Graphics, an Illustrated Guide to Communicating Science Through Diagrams and Visualizations by Jen Christensen, who is the Senior Graphics Editor at Scientific American. So while I can't say that I've met Jen before, those are some legit credentials. And I happen to know a few folks over there at Scientific American, and they consistently put out good work. So I'm confident this book is going to go over well. I don't always promote stuff on the podcast, but I do try to mention resources that I think are worth checking out. And this book looks really interesting. So I'm going to check it out. I'll provide a link to Jen's site and you'll be able to see a table, uh, a preview of the table of contents there. And that'll give you a good sense of whether you want to grab a copy or not. Uh, I also want to give a shout out to Peg Garrity. Peg is a well-established medical illustrator. She's been doing work for many years and she's been posting some really great videos recently on her Vimeo account. They're 
you know, short little video snippets that give a few tips on a specific topic for medical illustrators, you know, you mostly on the business end of things. And I think she's doing a great job. I mean, you know, I'm finding them to be really helpful. So please check out Peg's Vimeo account. Um, I need to give Peg on the podcast here soon. You know, I, she's an expert in the field and I know she's got a lot of great stories to share. So uh, yeah, I'm definitely gonna reach out and I'll put a link to uh, Peg's Vimeo profile on uh, the episode show notes. I recently found out on the AMI Hub about this Association of Illustration Awards for Global Healthcare. This sounds really cool. Um, unfortunately, I don't know how well this was advertised because I didn't recognize anyone from the AMI on their short list, you know, of, of like honorable mentions. But they had a really specific niche style of illustration that they're kind of going for, I think, you know, and, but that was good. It, it looked cool. It's like it very much looked like, you know, magazine spreads, like something you see in The New Yorker. I'll, I'll share a link to that so you can check it out and get some inspiration. Um, so, yeah, that does it uh, for me. Again, my apologies. It's been so long since I last posted an episode. Uh, but I do have some really great interviews already recorded. And I'm just currently editing those. So, please let me know if uh, you know any better ways to edit audio. <laughs> I'm definitely way slower at editing audio than I should be. Um but I've got a long list of people I really want to reach out to. So I'm, I'm going to keep moving down the list. All right. And one last personal announcement here before I wrap up this episode. Uh, this is pretty big news for me. My wife and I are expecting. We have a little one on the way coming up around the end of March. This is obviously going to be a huge change for me. Also, my time on the podcast might be more limited. So I just wanted to let my audience know it might slow down a little bit, but I'm still going to try and keep going, still going to keep making the podcast, and you know, episodes might just take a little bit longer to come out. I really have to say, though, you know, this is super exciting. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, there's always going to be challenges in our lives, but this is something I'm really looking forward to, and the more I think about it, the more I just know there's going to be so many laughs and, and just happiness in my future. You know, good times are inevitable. I think this is one of the blessings of having a kid, you know, having having an optimistic mindset. It isn't a choice anymore. This is how I have to be. So look, yes, we have a lot of challenges to deal with right now. The AI technology, human art thieves, climate change, rising cost of living, you know, all yes, all of these are serious problems and we need to address them, but I'm not going to choose to believe that these the presence of these problems means that we're doomed because they don't and we're not. If you want to believe that, you do you. In the meantime, I'll be over here doing my thing, making art every day, having discussions with medical illustration experts, studying martial arts, and raising a happy kid. And I don't know how wild this battle with AI, you know, is going to get. I know we'll always have battle, uh, you know, battles to fight with uh, scammers and, and that, that kind of thing for sure. So get strong, my friends, get strong. You know, seek out and attain the rank of black belt for yourself as well. And in the meantime, stay safe, stay tuned, and keep your head up. You know, catch you on the next one. Happy holidays and happy New Year's, everyone.